Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Welcome, welcome, you lover of ear-based fiction. Uh, by that, I don't mean fiction that is about ears, per se, but... Um, Fiction that is delivered via your ear holes, via the audio of my voice that you're listening to on your car speaker or maybe in your earbuds while you're walking your dog or working in your garden or whatever the hell else you're doing. My name is Jim Heskip. This is the Thriller Fiction Podcast. And this week we are reading the Now Timeline from Paper Tiger. Micah read book number eight, but the one, two, three, fourth uh, installment of the Micah Reed Chronological Edition. As always, what we're going to be doing is to read the first chapter uh, of a Micah Reed book, and then I'm going afterwards, stick around, make sure you stick around after, because then I'm going to give you some behind-the-scenes information about that particular chapter, how it relates to the book, and how it relates to Micah Reed's overall story. This week, as I said, we're reading Paper Tiger Chapter 1, uh, which takes place um, just after Micah Reed moved to Denver. So we are almost up chronologically to Airbag Scars, which is technically book zero. And if all these numbers in the timelines you find confusing, really the truth is you don't need to worry about what happens when because the Micah Reed books, you can essentially read them in any order. You can get a full story without having to worry about did this happen before that or did that happen before this? All right, so with that said, I am now going to get into Chapter 1 of Paper Tiger. This condo has become a prison. Not literally, no. I've been in prison, and this condo is clearly an improvement on an 8x10 cell with a combo sink-slash-toilet unit. I can come and go as I please as long as I don't leave the city without express permission from my handler. And that's the problem. I'm not still free. I've been in Denver for a few months, and I haven't left the city once since I've been here. It's still foreign. I don't know where anything is. I know I live across the street from the REI store in near Spear Boulevard, but I can't navigate the city without using GPS. And I don't want to walk anywhere because there are always people around. You can't ever be alone in a large city like this. Maybe I sound like I'm whining. That would be a fair assessment. I pop the cap off another fat tire and guzzle a third of it in one gulp. This is my fifth or sixth and I can't taste it anymore. Might as well be water for all it's doing for me. Seems I don't get drunk these days, only increasingly wobbly each time I rise to use the restroom. My condo has hardly any furniture. Every time I intend to visit a furniture store for more, the whole process feels too overwhelming. And in some ways, a self-fulfilling surrender. If I make this place my home, then it has to become my home. I lift my legs and set them on the coffee table in my living room, staring at a blank television tuned to an empty input. Everything on television either makes me sad or angry anyway. I have nothing of home here, my real home. Just a condo purchased for me by the United States government. I have a caseworker named Gavin who hovers above me like a vulture, makes sure I'm showing up at my job, makes sure I'm not doing stupid things like logging onto social media or calling my family. 
My family thinks I'm dead. That's by design. It's a horrible design, but that decision has been made, and there's no way to undo it. I'm 28 years old and my life is over. My last birthday occurred in a literal prison. My next birthday, coming up soon, will occur in a different kind of prison. A new prison where my old life is fading fast. In Stillwater, Oklahoma, hidden in the ceiling in an apartment behind the plasma center is a shoebox. A shoebox I stashed there before the feds sent me to prison. A dangerous game I played only hours after I narrowly escaped yet another kind of prison I'd been calling home. Seems the last half dozen years of my life have been nothing but a series of prisons. In that shoebox lives the only remnant of the person I used to be. I can take comfort from the fact that at least there is a record. All other evidence of Michael McBriar has been wiped from the earth, buried in redacted government documents and sealed court records, and that's for everyone's protection. When I shift on the couch, I can feel him in my pocket, so I remove the severed head of the Boba Fett action figure and set him next to me. Hey, Boba, I say. Hey, Micah. It's still weird to hear you say that name. It's your name now, your legal name. I know, I know, it doesn't feel right, though. It's still like a Halloween costume I can't take off. Hmm, interesting way to put it. Rough day? You could say that. I'm just sitting here trying to get drunk, but it's not working. Thinking about the shoebox? Yes. Thinking about it. I know what you're trying to say, Boba. Thinking about it instead of doing something about it. Well, what am I supposed to do? Gavin said I'm not allowed to leave Colorado without permission, which he won't give. And it's not like I can tell him about the shoebox or even tell him I want to go back to Stillwater for some other reason. No way would he sign off on that trip. Have you considered what would happen if there's a fire at that apartment? Or if they tear the building down? It's a crappy little two-apartment building. What if they demolish it to build some six-story thing? I sit up straight. A pulse comes at the back of my eyes. No, I have not considered this. If they pull down that building, my shoebox would be destroyed or even worse, discovered. This is a big deal. A significant development I haven't even considered before. I have to get it back. But where will I keep it? I'm not positive, but I think it might be a crime for me to have it. Actually, it's definitely a crime. Federal evidence sits in that shoebox, such as the business card with the raised image of the wolf's head, the special piece of the puzzle from my old life. My hand moves the beer to the table, and I pick up Boba Fett and shove him in my pocket. I start to search the room for something secluded, something no one will suspect. I drift back along the hallway and into my bedroom. The trim along the floor catches my eye where the carpet meets the wall. It could work. I kneel next to the wall and tug on the edge of the carpet. With a few strong pulls, it separates from the floor. Underneath that, there are floorboards sticky with the residue of pale orange glue. After jiggling two, the boards come up easily, and now I'm staring at a hollow space below. Large enough for a shoebox. This might work. But for this to work, I need to be careful, need to be clever. I take my phone out of my pocket and call Frank Mueller, my boss. Hello? Hi, Frank. Oh, hey, kid. Something I could do for you? I hesitate for a moment. Even though I've been working for Frank at Mueller Fugitive Recovery Services for a few months, I barely know the guy. I know he doesn't drink. I know he knows I do. 
He's never told me that I had to go to an AA meeting, but he's tossed looks at me sometimes. I know those looks. The judging but trying not to judge look. Do you mind if I take a couple days off work? Yeah, sure. Something wrong? Again, I hesitate. Frank knows my handler with the U.S. Marshals, Gavin. They're old friends, and Gavin even got me the job with Frank after I left prison and arrived here. I can't tell Frank my real plan. Uh, no, nothing's wrong. I just need a little personal time, if that's okay. Sure, kid. No problem. I can tend to your projects. Just check in with me by Thursday or Friday, okay? He ends the call, and I stare at my phone, feeling paranoid and also a little guilty. I've lied to him now for my own selfish reasons. Harmless old Frank has been nothing but civil to me in the short time I've known him. He's said not an unkind word on those mornings when I've stumbled into work, so hungover I can do nothing but slam coffee for the first two hours of my workday. He seems like a solid guy, but that voice in the back of my head pesters me. What if Frank talks to Gavin? I'm not supposed to leave town. I could get into serious, life-altering trouble as a result of doing this. My eyes bore into the hollowed-out space under the floorboards. I have to get the shoebox back. It's mine. The only link to my past. The only way to preserve the memory of who I used to be. My old phone is gone, along with all the pictures of that old life. The only known pictures in existence of my deceased friend are two snaps I printed out at Walgreens a few days before he died. One of us at the Riverwalk in OKC. Another one of us on that harrowing camping trip in Utah. The only memories I have of him. The only memories of the old me. This is a terrible idea. But I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, there we go. That is chapter one of Paper Tiger, book eight in the in the published order of the Micah Reed series, but in the chronological order, it's about halfway through the series. After this, everything, this is the last book there that features Micah drinking through the entire book. And the next book, Airbag Scars, is when he gets sober. And you'll definitely see a different Micah throughout Airbag Scars, Nailgun Messiah, Casino Cartel, Blood Thief, Stone Deep, and Shot Collar. Um, Micah definitely improves as he gets sober, which, you know, if you know anyone who has gotten sober or if you are a sober person yourself, you'll know that that's certainly the truth of it. Um, most people are pretty miserable and unhappy and in a difficult spot when they arrive in sobriety. And then things get better a little bit at a time, slowly over time, as long as they keep working on sobriety. Anyway, it's not, it's not an overnight thing. You don't just like get back to full health and, and happiness and sanity immediately. Anyway, so this book very much like Prison Runner, this book starts off with Micah Reed in a very, very low place. He's gotten out of prison, but now he's begun his life in witness protection, and he's in a place that he considers a prison because he doesn't know anyone, he can't really leave, he can't go online. Because of his witness protection, you know, he can't have a Facebook page, he can't he can't like join a meetup group and go make new friends. He really the only person people he knows are he knows his boss Frank and he knows Gavin, his handler, and he does not like Gavin. Um, even though over the course of the books, Micah's relationship with Gavin improves, here it's very, very tense. He does not like Gavin. And Gavin doesn't like him because Gavin doesn't think that Micah's going to be able to give up his life of crime. One thing you'll notice is that this book is not only, this chapter is not only in the first person, it's also in present tense, and that's to counterbalance the then timeline of Paper Tiger. Because if you remember from a few weeks ago when we read 
the first chapter of the then timeline in Paper Tiger, that that this story <clears throat> and that story are told concurrently in the novel, and that in the then story is about Micah in Utah with Pug, and this story is about Micah right after he's moved to Denver. And this story is about that shoebox, because if you remember, the Micah sits down and he has this long conversation with Boba Fett, which uh, here's a bit of trivia for you. If you'll notice in certain Micah Reed books, Micah talks to Boba Fett in almost every single book. In some books, Boba Fett talks back. And so I'm not going to tell you which ones or why. That's for you to figure out, but that's your trivia. Why does Boba Fett talk back to Micah in certain books, but not others? So this story in Paper Tiger is about Micah's sojourn back to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I personally went to college, so it was fun to write about Stillwater, to retrieve a shoebox that has apparently, it's a silly thing, a shoebox, right? It's just a shoebox full of uh, old love letters and photographs, but for Micah, it's it comes to symbolize his only link to the past, and so it's very, very important to him to have this shoebox. And when writing this book, when writing anything, because there are a few books now that I could that you could consider prequels to the Micah Reed series, it's very important to me that I avoid getting into the trap of the uh, the over-explaining prequel trap. And I always refer to this as the midichlorian trap. Because if you rem- if you remember in the Star Wars prequels that came out in the late nineties and early two thousands. George Lucas inserted this thing about the origins of the Force, and the Force comes from these little creatures called the midichlorians that live um, in in people, and if you have enough midichlorians, you can become a Jedi. And a lot of people were upset by this midichlorian thing, and justifiably, because the thing is, nobody was asking where the Force came from. It didn't matter, because before midichlorians, all you knew about the Force was that it was this magical thing and it was the source of all life energy or whatever. It didn't even really matter. What You don't even have to understand or explain the Force. It's the thing that gives a Jedi his power, and it's what the Sith use to, what the Sith abuse to get their power. And then you come along with midichlorians because George is like, oh, I'm going to introduce this thing, and it changes things, and it's clever. But people thought it was dumb because it was totally unnecessary. So anytime... When I'm writing a prequel story, I have to worry about that. Like, am I over-explaining things that people aren't looking for? Because one of the, the the reason I wrote Paper Tiger is I was thinking, well, you know, Micah left his shoebox in Oklahoma when he got arrested. So how did the shoebox get from Oklahoma to Denver? And so I don't know if that's a story that people were asking themselves, but that's something that I was asking myself. And that's why I wrote the story. And I hope that by presenting the story that I haven't over-explained things. And I think the key to not over-explaining things is is that hopefully Paper Tiger, even though it may be providing this background story that you weren't dying to know, that it's still an entertaining story and that the process of Micah going to Stillwater and then bringing the shoebox back is a very exciting ride. It involves these crazy hippies and an RV and car chases and tripping on acid um, and and doing um, doing a, a, um, a Native American sweat in a teepee. It's it's really it's a crazy crazy ride that this uh, Paper Tiger book takes. Anyway, I think I've rambled on enough about what Paper Tiger is all about. So I'm going to 
cut this off here and say that I hope that you enjoyed this installment of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It would mean a whole, whole lot to me. It takes you, you know, 25 seconds to go do it. All you have to say is this is the best podcast ever. That's all you really need to say. And um, I will see you again next week. Take it easy. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.